So you've got fraud on, say, the left side of the spectrum, and you've got money laundering on the right side of the spectrum. Well, we're right in the middle because we are bringing in both sides to say, here's a more comprehensive certification. Go straight to what the regulators will look at, uh, which is the BSA. You're listening to Aaron O'Loughlin, Senior Director of Training at the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists. Welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast. Uh, knowing the law and knowing the foundation for the regulations of which we actually work will help springboard you into any career that you need. I think because I've been so open to say, where can I go next? What should I do? That's how that's what's opened doors for me. In this episode, we discuss how she started her career in investigating fraud and money laundering, how the ACFCS started, the role of the organization in fighting fraud, how to qualify for the Certified Financial Crime Specialist Credential, and why learning the Bank Secrecy Act and Patriot Act is beneficial. She is the Senior Director of Training for the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists. She also has a CFCS credential and is also CAM certified. Erin O'Loughlin, welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast. Thank you, Robert. I really appreciate having me on. Thank you, Aaron, for being on the podcast. I've always have been interested in this organization of the Certified Financial Crime Specialist, and, it's, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. How did you get involved, and we'll just name it the ACFCS? Yes, you got it right. Thank you. Well, it was back in about 2019. I was living in Northern California at the time. I was there for about 14 years, uh, my family and I were. Being in the financial crimes compliance arena, I had already been certified in an anti-money laundering capacity for several years. And so I just started Googling, actually, uh, where to find some conferences around me. I wanted some different kinds of content and different conferences uh, that was near me. And I ended up finding in 2019 a cryptocurrency uh, compliance symposium. And I didn't know what this organization was at all that was hosting it. So I said, sure, it's pretty cheap. It's right near me and it's and it's in a few weeks. And so I ended up going and I made friends with the now leader, who's now my bosses, uh, at that conference where I networked and learned a lot at the same time. And then just sort of followed them through, uh, through the pandemic. And then in 2021, I saw a... Uh, job opening and my friend happened who's a recruiter happened to have the contract with them and I said hey this this sure job opening by the way and he said yes and they, since they already know you why don't I make the introduction and it sort of just worked all out it was meant to be so what were you doing before you joined this association so immediately before I became an ACFCS employee I was with Coinbase for about 14 15 months I was the investigations manager where I approved and edited and wrote SARS and helped with investigations uh, there for the cryptocurrency exchange. So you've had an analyst type of position for most of your career type thing? Investigative, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Before I was with Western Union for two and a half years where I actually loved that job until they sent it from San Francisco to Denver, where I was doing proactive risk investigations, looking at uh, what else was going on on open source as well as dark web, uh, the Tor network markets and how Western Union was being utilized by threat actors and what we were doing to combat that on on a proactive risk. uh, I love that job, Uh, finding these guys and hunting them down without any kind of an alert or any kind of knee-jerk reaction that most financial institutions have to take. 
And then they moved my job. So I had to look for something else. And I, I landed with Coinbase. Before Western Union, uh, I was with Bank of America for five years where I was doing money laundering investigations for, for three of those years. Terrorist financing investigations mostly. Uh, and really loved that one too. But I happened to have gotten a, a chance to move on and uh, really kind of build my portfolio. So the Certified Financial Crime Specialist Organization, how, how long has it been around? I'd say about roughly 11 years now. So the leadership for ACFCS uh, was actually part of uh, one of our biggest competitors. Uh, my CAM certification uh, already came from ACAMS, and then uh, they started their own because they said, hey, we have money laundering on one side and we have fraud on the other and associations that are both very, very good. What do we have in the middle? And that's when ACFCS was born through the leadership there in Miami. And they spun it off and have created their own. And we're just taking off now, about roughly 10 or 11 years now. So why is this organization important? I mean, why, why does it exist? So I see it as a mirror to what has been happening in the last, I'd say, decade or even at least six years in the financial crime compliance arena. Right before I left Bank of America, we moved management cases, case management system, and it changed my life because it changed the way I was looking at my cases and it brought in the fraud cases that were working for a particular case. So, for instance, before when I was working a particular alert or a grand jury subpoena or a national security letter for suspected terrorist financing, I would only see what the AML kind of stovepipe of information would give me. Right. Whereas the last before I left, I was able then to see that that particular account also had a fraud start to it because the technology brought it in. And it really brought in a more holistic view of what we were looking at on a particular account or accounts. And I think the association really matches and mirrors that kind of trend that's been going on. It's also a trend called Framel, uh, fraud and AML together, because, you know, as humans, we're, we're really my, my bachelor my minor is in psychology so if you're, you've got a fraud case then maybe sometimes you've got a predicate case that is washing the money that you get from the the crime of fraud so why not bring the two together and our certification mirrors that as well to say there's fraud cases in our certification and our test there's also the three layers of money laundering the stages uh what to look for and things like that interesting you say that's because i had a conversation i want to say a few weeks ago with an individual way high up in the banking industry. And he was mentioning the fact that the same problem is that for some reason, the money laundering side and the fraud side are two different things. They don't talk to each other. And I was like, really? I, I, I'm in the, I, I was in the, with the government for 20 years. I, I, I was assumed that they would. And, she, and you're more or mm -hmm. less telling me the same thing. They just told me, it's like, nope. Because typically the money laundering is their frauds a predicate to the money laundering. It really changed the way we, we looked at our cases right before I left. I spent about a year just really commending our leadership there at B of A saying, wow, this was so smart to change this because now I can go, I can reach out to the fraud investigator who worked that case. I can learn more. I can, or just read their report that they had in there to say, wow, okay, this is the way they did the fraud. And it gave me more tips and insights into maybe what they were doing on the suspicious transaction activity side, the right. AML portion of it. So what is it to become a member of the ACFCS? What does it take? Uh, so it's, Typically about five years in the industry, and then you can find us online at acfcs.org, and you can look to see what the requirements are. To be a member, that's basically it. You just say, hey, I've got five years, and then uh, it's maybe a, a letter 
And we're not really as picky as far as you have to have five years because you could have equivalent learning. You could have equivalent uh, government experience as well, too. So yourself, Robert, your former Gubby, if you've got 20 years, but you're not in the private sector and can't say, well, I don't have five years of the financial uh, industry experience, but I do have 20 years government. Oh my gosh, we eat you alive and say, come on in, you're in sort of thing. And because you bring a breadth of experience to the organization. So what opportunities does it give a member? Why would someone show up or sign up for this organization? Because like I said before, it, it really brings in both the fraud and the AML side as well as cybersecurity. And we are actually launching a, at the end of September, we'll be launching a crypto compliance specialization as well. So we're really bringing in all sorts of uh, aspects to our industry to keep everybody up on, on the regulations, on what industry is, is happening, uh, and making sure that you know the latest trends that are going on uh, in our industry. We're, we're a lot like our, our competitors, exact, but we actually bring more to the table to bring in all sides of our industry. So you've got fraud on, say, the left side of the spectrum, and you've got money laundering on the right side of the spectrum. Well, we're right in the middle because we are bringing in both sides to say, here's a more comprehensive certification. And a lot more uh, employers are hearing about us. And you know, when you see the job openings on LinkedIn or Indeed and things like that, I'm getting a little fuzzy because I'm thinking in my heart, because I'm going, yay, I don't just see, you know, CFE is mandatory or CANS is mandatory. It's I'm seeing us as well to say, you should have a certification. Here are the three that we are looking for, which is nice. So the question is, is that, okay, you have the organization that someone can join, but there's also a certification that someone can actually, I'm assuming, sign up for, take a test, correct? And there has to be some type of uh, qualifications just to just to get that credential? Yeah, uh, it's, like I said, the five years in the industry. And a certain number of credits. I believe it's 30-hour credits, but I have to look at that. Uh, I don't think that we are as uh, stringent as our, our competitors. But, yeah, it's it's credit hours that you, you can get. And you can get that while you're a member, too, to sign up to be a member. And then you can take the classes and the um, the videos that we have on our learning management system, which is a sh- a lot, <laughs> as the is a lot. Uh, you can go through those and get your credit hours as well. And then sign up for the test. You have a year to take the test. It's 12 months. From when you sign up, we have a self-guided study course and plan for you. And there's also videos that you can watch that we have that we have recorded to help you uh, gear up for the test and be ready for it so you can become certified. Who is your typical certification candidate or the person who wants it? What? Who are these people that are actually getting this credential? We're a mix of financial institution compliance uh, professionals as well as U.S. government professionals. We're getting a lot more U.S. government that are signing up to say, I need both sides. I can't, if I just get one or if I just get the other, that means I'm still lacking a little bit on in one industry over the other. So there are a lot more are coming to us to say, I need a more comprehensive test that shows my employer and I can, you know, get promoted or I can go out into the private sector and I have this certification on me. So it, we, we really range from cryptocurrency compliance specialists to financial institution specialists all throughout, as well as government. So there's hardly anyone we say no to. What type of training courses do you have or continued education that's available for people who who either want to show up and listen or have to get the credential or to get the required hours to keep their credentials? We run the gamut from, oh my gosh, everything. We have wildlife trafficking courses that we have on our learning management system to cryptocurrency. What is cryptocurrency? to what is the latest fraud trends, 
to anything you can imagine. Type it into the search bar on our website and you can come up with a vast array of different videos to watch after you become a member. I'm looking at your website now. I'm seeing that there's a human trafficking event in New York oh, yeah. at one time. So you talk about that, financial crimes in Canada, uh, financial yeah. crimes in New York, that type of thing. So you do have live events as in for people actually to show up. Okay. Yes, we are getting back into the live events thing. We In July, we had in San Francisco the Crypto Compliance Symposium. Uh, they, it was a third one, but it was only the second one that they had live. So the, the first one was in 2019, and then the shutdown happened. Couldn't have it. Right. And then had it again just this last July, and so I was able to be a part of it and help run it. Uh, and we're, we're doing more roundtables, too. In fact, I have a colleague right now who just landed yesterday in Australia to uh, help lead the roundtable discussions where we, we really like to get these top leaderships to around the roundtable uh, in person, Chatham House rules and say, what are you looking for? What do you need? How can we help you attain what the regulators are expecting of you, what you need from your training program? How can we bring that to you? And he's actually going to be jumping into those discussions today and tomorrow, I believe. And then there's another one in New York coming up. And so we, we're doing a lot of these in person now that we're starting to ramp up. We still do so many virtual classes. Uh, I run the affiliate webinar program and we do an affiliate webinar uh, once a week, uh, almost once a week or once every two weeks, depends on the month. And those are, if you're a company that is looking for the training program, you can just contact our, our folks on the website and ask, hey, I'm interested in becoming an affiliate member. And these companies get a package deal, particular web webinars that you get throughout the year. And then you sit with our events folks and say, all right, these are our webinar dates that we would like to schedule. And you schedule out uh, a year in advance it, or at least a quarter to try and figure out where you can fit in because we have a lot of affiliates who are signing up. And then you tell us what topics you'd like to talk about. And then we try to deliver that for you to our members as well. We also uh, work with you as an affiliate company to say, you know, our folks are giving us our surveys to say they really want to hear more about human trafficking or they really want to hear about you know, pig butcher, which is making a huge splash in the, the uh, cryptocurrency compliance world and what to look out for with pig butchering. Who can do that? And we'll go to you there as well. If uh, an affiliate comes to us and says, we would really love to have a, a webinar on public and private partnerships uh, and how the public sector and the private sector are working, especially within our company. And then I come back and say, well, you only have one person from your company as uh, a speaker. Let's get a public sector folk, someone to come in. Do you know anyone? And so that's where we work with you to say, let's give you the best bang for your buck. And let's really get the content as best as best we can and as tight as we can. So the organization is worldwide, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that's why a lot of folks, myself included, because I had a hard time with it, too. And I would say, well, we're not talking about Patriot Act as much. We're not talking about BSA. Why aren't we addressing these things and, and risk when it comes to BSA? And then my boss has to remind me, um, we, we have a worldwide platform. Not everyone wants to hear about BSA when we do these things. Oh, right. I have to remember, think outside myself. I used to live overseas. And so I have to remember, oh, put myself back in the overseas realm. We have a ton of European, African. We have a very active uh, Nigeria chapter. Uh, we have a, um, gosh, we have a big Latin American contingent as well. We had uh, a Thin Crime Virtual Week all last week. All Latin American is a huge Latin American event that lasted all week last week. It was very well attended, all in Spanish. It was amazing. So, yeah, we have a very big worldwide program. So if you don't, if you want us to, t to talk about a specific subject and it's U.S. related, maybe we can address that in, in a webinar. Or if you want us to talk about a European uh, regulation, let's figure out how we can do that sort of thing.
where are you getting your experts to deliver this content? I'm assuming you have a stable or Rolodex. I mean, who are who are these individuals that are delivering this, this type of content? We do. We have a Rolodex of, of contacts that I came in with, as well as what my boss, Brian Kindle, already has, and Joseph Yearn, our president, he already has. But that's just not enough. And that's what they said to me when I came in. I said, can you bring your contacts as well as get more people, get more blood? And I'm that, that really spoke to me when I was interviewing with them. And I said, I... I love the, hey, let's get a big name, uh, a very high level regulator or a high level person at a bank. But I really also want to highlight the real worker bees who are seeing the trends, who are working and slaving over these spreadsheets or whatever else that they're working on or the case agents that are on the ground. And so I've been really uh, canvassing a lot on LinkedIn. It's been it's been my home. I, I don't really like to put a whole lot up on LinkedIn. But I read a lot. And when I see someone putting up really good articles and talking a lot about a particular compliance subject, I'll reach out. I'll just say, do you want to speak for us? And I'm trying to get more into the European uh, speakers as well to say who out there wants to talk about European issues, regulations, uh, Asian, as well as, you know, the, the war in Ukraine, that sort of thing. So I just basically have been uh, canvassing and my boss canvasses as well. And my my colleague, Casey, he does a lot on LinkedIn to say call for speakers. So if someone wants to speak, write, or teach for your organization? Maybe they got a certain skill set or a certain particular niche that they think will be helpful to the ACFCS. I'll get it right. Yes. Uh, uh, what would you recommend? Well, they can actually just contact me, eolachlan at acfcs.org. It's just E-O-L-O. U-G-H-L-I-N at acfcs.org. And that comes right to me. And I've been actually putting out a call for speakers quite a bit on LinkedIn and getting the, the emails right to me have been a, a big help too, because I've been able to filter some and say, hey, this particular speaker or um, person who wants to speak wants to speak on topics that we don't really cover. And so that helps my boss to be able to, to say, okay, we, we can't do that, but I'll put them in a Rolodex. And then we'll move on with the other folks who have uh you know, ideas about things that we can talk about. And then I'll present to him. And then we go to our events director as well to say, all right, let's put all this together and see what we've got. So it's a bit of a process, but coming to me first would be the best best way to do it. I'll put your email address for sure on the show notes so people can have it um, versus writing it down in the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> they can <exactly>. look at <laughs> it. Don't do that. Are there any resources or training that have helped you along your journey? You've become an analyst at various financial institutions, and now you're at this organization, ACFCS. What resources and training have helped you? Well, I wouldn't say training, even though I'm I'm the senior director of training. Uh, I would say the resources were, if you're U.S.-based, go straight to what the regulators will look at, uh, which is the BSA. Read the BSA, read the, as much as you can, the FFIEC manual. Uh, find out what the OCC is talking about when it comes to what you need to know. Uh, and th those things have helped me because when you take the trainings uh, of any organization, especially ours, if you take our trainings, then you've got that kind of base with you to say, all right, I, I know this, but what do certain things mean in the BSA? Or what do you can come armed with more um, and better questions to say, all right, I know what the regulation states or what the government is telling me, but what does this mean for particular situations sort of thing? That will really help uh, any training that you take. What do you wish you had known when you started your financial analyst career? I wish someone had said, uh, 
uh, obviously I had to have OJT on the job training and how to work the different tools that we had online that to help us do the investigations, right? I had to do that. And then I, although I love my, my boss, I talk about him all the time, uh, my boss from B of A, we're still good friends. He was such an amazing mentor and he still is. And we both together have said, wow, I wish we both had said, read the BSA. <laughs> I really wish we had done that. Uh, read that, learn the Patriot Act, uh, where, how it applies to us. Uh, knowing the law and knowing the foundation for the regulations of which we actually work will help springboard you into any career that you need. And getting that training also on top of that to say, what do these certain things mean? What's the spirit of the law? What's the letter of the law? That really helps as well. And I wish I had that in the beginning. It's interesting you say that because as a writer myself and knowing doing federal prosecutions uh, for almost my whole career, it's amazing that there are people that just take whatever's written down as policy or you know or some type of document as gospel or maybe what the person beside the cubicle said and never really sat down and read the rule book because all the stuff and I'm not sure exactly how it is regarding the BSA's things. But, you know, the tax law, the case law, all the stuff's available. You just have to go know where to find it and then read it. And then once you become literally an expert in the policy or whatever written, because almost everything's written down, you really get a leg up because you know your stuff. It's not a matter of you taking the, the word of somebody else. You actually read it in black and white, and there it is in federal statute. There it is. Yep, no problem. I will say, though, it is hard to read legal documents. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big but oh, it is tough to get through those things. It, it will pay off in the end if you just keep going at it. Keep coming back to the same document or give yourself like, if it's a, a big one, give yourself like two or three pages that day to work through and then reread the last page and then give yourself two or three more pages the next day because obviously we're really busy, especially if you're an investigator in a large financial institution, you have probably a quota of cases you have to do, which I think is ridiculous, but that's that's a policy issue, not a regulator issue. But if you have a quota for your bank and you have to get through those, maybe you could set some time at the end of the day to get through two pages of uh, the BSA or get through maybe an executive order that this administration has put out regarding uh, virtual assets, which is also really important to, to read. Right. So, or set up a Google alert for uh, FinCEN. That's what I've done. If there's any news that comes out, press releases that come out in FinCEN, I created a folder in my Outlook where it goes directly to that. So I'm not overwhelmed in my inbox. And then at the end of the day, or the beginning of the day, I will look at that and say, oh, gosh, there's 50 emails that came through, FinCEN alerts. And you can look through the titles of them and say, oh, that half of these don't really apply to me. Oh, there's three here I really need to read. And those things will really help keep you up to date on what you need to know. And will help advance your career, too, because, you know, this is behind the scenes a little bit. Not a whole lot of folks do this. And when you do do this, you will look better to your management. You will look better to prospective employers and say, well, I know for a fact FinCEN is saying the following, and that is in relation to the executive order that came out with this administration, that sort of thing, to keep you abreast of everything that you need to know. It becomes more proactive than reactive. Absolutely. And yeah. it's hard to do, though. I'm not saying this is something easy. It's really hard to do. Well, if you want to be the tip of the spear, you got to be out there finding out what people are saying or what's mm -hmm. writing or, or, you know, it's it's out there, especially with the Internet. Back in the day, you, know, you had to get the local newspaper what, that was thrown on your front porch in the morning. What about what? Tell you what happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it's a different world out there with the internet. My daughter, who's fifteen, does does I guess she does not understand. No, you didn't have this capability back in the day of you had to go to something called a library. 
to find anything. There was no YouTube video or TikTok video telling you how to do this, whatever she's trying to figure out. Looking back on your career, what is the biggest mistake or lost opportunity? My gut reaction is I don't feel I have a lost opportunity anywhere. I, the thing is, I have a weird start to my, my career. Uh, I was in intelligence before I came into the financial crime compliance arena. I spent 10 years uh, with the CIA and I was overseas uh, in the counterterrorist capacity. And so I sort of stumbled into this because I, I met my now husband in the San Francisco area. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And I decided, you know, God was telling me or somebody was telling me up there, I think you need a change of venue. You need a change of everything in your life. Mm-hmm. So I took and I left the Intel community. And uh, my husband was in the still a Bank of America employee. And he got my resume to the right folks. Granted, it took a long time uh, because people didn't understand how to read my resume. And I finally <laughs> landed. After- I can only imagine. It was rough, especially where I was. I finally landed. Because I couldn't change my resume either because it took me three months to get it approved by the um, publication review board Yeah. Uh, through the community. There's a system that you have to go through. And so I got that done and I couldn't change it when the few questions were coming my way or I was getting rejected constantly because I didn't have, quote, the experience. I finally landed on the desk of a uh, Marine reservist at BMA who was putting together a team. And he immediately said, oh, my gosh, I know what in between these words mean. And I, that's the person who gave me my break. And he got me in. So I, I kind of stumbled into it. And then I landed with a, an incredible team leader he put me with. My boss I just talked about. And he l- went from fraud. He and I were doing two years of fraud, um, very macro investigations, trends. We were reporting to uh, shareholders, sorry, stakeholders inside the bank regarding uh, mortgage fraud trends. And mm-hmm. we decided to move from there. But he moved over to AML and said, hey, I got a spot for you. I think you'd be better at AML. I moved over there. And I got to say, I sort of have same thing sort of happened to me in intelligence because um, my mother was in intelligence for 20 plus years and she was a secretary and worked her way up. And she said, well, you're going to be a summer employee as a college student uh, when you get in. So you can make your own spending money in college. And I was in that way. So it kind of feels like I cheated in both industries, uh, 10 years in the Intel community because my mom made me, I guess you could say. And then uh, 11 years now in financial crime compliance because the man I married got me in. So I don't think I've lost any opportunities. I think because I've been so open to say, where can I go next? What should I do? That's how that's what's opened doors for me. Mistake was I should have, again, I should have read the BSA right as soon as I, I got into the fraud realm. I really wish someone had said, you need to read this this legal document. This is what everything is predicated on and how and why we even exist inside this financial institution. That is exactly where we should start. But I don't think it's a huge mistake. I just think I read it a lot later than I should have. But that's all. For the audience's sake, what does BSA stand for? Bank Secrecy Act. And where do people find that? You can Google it uh, or DuckDuckGo it, as I actually use DuckDuckGo all the time. Uh, it, it is under the uh, Patriot Act, and it is a piece of uh, legislation, some of the U.S. Department of Treasury legislation, I guess you could say I'm saying that in um, air quotes with my fingers up that no one can see. Mm-hmm. It, it's in a program. It's about record keeping and reporting requirements for national banks. I think everybody should at least have a rudimentary familiarity with. You ready for the final four questions? Sure. Bring it. All right. Final four. You have worked for the CIA. You've worked for various financial institutions. You're now with the A-C-F-C-S. You got it. (laughs) What is your biggest motivation now? My biggest motivation is my family, particularly my daughter. You mentioned your daughter just now. I think, honestly, in a former life, I must have been a Pinkerton detective or a soldier or something because I have a very stern, very 
feeling, I guess you could say, of right or wrong. I have this black and white, uh, and I feel that with my daughter too, because the more that we can go after, we can find, we can jail, we can put the bad guys away, then the better chances are that our children will grow up in a safer environment. And so that's my motivation. What book or books have changed your life or thinking? Nothing has really changed my life or thinking other than experiences. And that's probably a disappointment to you for that question, but I'm a huge reader. I read at least two to three books a month. Uh, I'm on my fourth one for this month. Um, so it's not that I don't read and I'm, I'm being kind of cagey about that question. It's just that I read so many that I think everything together, reading all the books that I have, whether they be the murder mysteries that I love uh, or things like uh, the books like From Good to Great about how to build great companies and leadership roles and the nonfiction ones about Abraham Lincoln that I've read. Not one of those stands out the most other than that, a conglomeration of everything, as well as experiences and just diving into what it is that you think that you want to do at the time. Share something that you've purchased in the last 12 months, less than $100, that you enjoyed or made your job easier. If it's good enough for Aaron, it's good enough for the rest of the world, what would that be? Not to push a product, but uh, Masterclass, because of what I do now, I, I think or your audience can tell I speak really fast. So the more that I can watch people speak slower that are publicly speaking and their diction and the way that they're delivering their thoughts to their audience, things like that, that is really helping me. Uh, masterclass programs, things like that. That's what I've, uh, my boss actually gave me a free pass for um, a couple of sessions and then I went ahead and signed up. So it was, a, I can't remember, I think it's about a hundred or so dollars. And these classes, they're all sorts of different classes that you can take. And there, there are a lot of people that you may recognize or may not, but I don't really go for the celebrity portion of it to watch them or for the entertainment factor. I'm going to say, hey, they're speaking in a much better tone and I need to kind of bring that along myself. I need to mirror that because if no one can follow me, if I'm speaking too fast or if I'm not good at this job, people aren't going to be listening to me with the content and they need to come back to the content and to learn how to do their jobs better. So you got a masterclass subscription and you're, you are looking at it not from the contents perspective, but the delivery, the stagecraft. Right. There's a few people that are very good just naturally on stage, but to mm -hmm. be good on stage takes practice and work and deliberation and, and, and intention. You know, you can't just get up there and wing it. It looks like you're winging it. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I didn't realize how much it was, but it really is. When I first uh, was hired, my president, Joseph Urant, he, he even said to me, he said, I don't know if we were going to take you. You talk really fast. And I said, I know, I know, but thanks for taking a risk on me. I'm working on it. I'm slow, trying to slow my delivery down and making sure I get the content out. And, okay, good. And he gave me a, a compliment just recently. He doesn't give compliments very well, which is good. Which is very good. And he said, you know, you're, you've really slowed down. You're, you're deliberate in your approach now. I'm really seeing a big difference and I really appreciate that. News. So that was really good to hear. Well, this is probably going to be one of the shortest podcasts in my episodes just because you're, you have given so much content in such a few minutes. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron, if you if you get fired today, you can no longer do your job and you can no longer be in the financial uh, compliance and education field. If you had to do something else, what would you be doing? Well, given my age, I don't know if I would be restricted from it, but I would try to find something in either the law enforcement field, local law enforcement field. I really feel like I've been on the national stage 
and that didn't have as much of a, a bang for my buck as far as I didn't feel uh, seeing the, the fruits of my labor. Uh, more local police, maybe working for the police station, maybe dispatch or something like that. I, I honestly think I would do that or go back to school to get an advanced degree in psychology. I'm actually looking at advanced programs for forensic psychology um, and or uh, homeland security and terrorism studies. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of even looking at that right now. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where my, my brain is going in those two different directions. Well, I will say this much for dispatch. You have to slow down. Yeah, true. <laughs> I I was a sheriff's deputy for law for, uh, for a couple of years uh, back in the day. And we had this one guy on the radio, and he would talk slow, so slow. And he was a dispatcher. He was a, he was a, he was a he was a sheriff's deputy. And I was like, I told my partner, this guy speaks so slow. He goes, Yeah, but he never has to repeat himself either. I'm like, That's true. That's very That's true. true. <laughs> you never had to sit there and say, Repeat yourself, please. <laughs> I just threw that out there because of my age. Because I really don't know if I would be taken out as a police officer. I would love to be a police officer. I think. Like I said, I think in my former life, I was either a soldier or a Pinkerton detective or something. Uh, being out there in the field, working with folks, you know, hand-to-hand sort of oh, thing. Oh, I um, understand. I know in federal government, there is an age requirement, but many local police departments still do not have an age requirement. It just depends because I do know that – I do know one guy was one of my podcast guests. He is 70, and he is a reserve deputy. He just does cold cases. He doesn't go out there oh, and do wow. the, you know, the the high, you know, the big traffic stops and all that type of stuff and doing patrol. But his job is to go out there and find these cases that happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago. It's just, you know, and that's all he does. It's cold cases. That sounds fair. So he takes his forensic accounting uh, background and his, he just does that, which is pretty interesting. He can still be a police officer, still have the sworn powers, but yet have a certain niche that... Let's, let's be honest. Being 30 and being 70, two different worlds. You know, you're not chasing somebody down 870. And I, I got that. It just, it's just a, uh, a season of life. But there still is a need for the uh, expertise and the wisdom that comes with, with age and experience. So, All right, Aaron or Lachlan, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And best luck to you in uh, your position with the ACFCS. I appreciate it. Thank you. That came off your tongue very uh, easy that time. Thank you. You did a good job. (laughs) Thank you.